0: And welcome back to this week's episode of the Movie Owl Podcast. I am Nick, and I'm joined by Brennan this week. How are you? Uh,
1: not too bad. Not bad. No Colin, but that's all right. We'll uh, yeah. make
0: do. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hiatus. We're giving him a vacation. He's working hard, um, but it's actually a really busy week this week at the box office. Uh, Valentine, the Valentine's Day weekend is typically like like the first really big. Weekend of the year a lot of stuff comes out There's either romance movies or things that are kind of counter programming to those romance movies So there's actually a lot to talk about this week. So uh, running down the top five here We have Sonic the Hedgehog surprisingly doing really well in its first weekend and gross over the Weekend of 57 million and then in second place We have Birds of Prey or the new title Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey uh, which is now at 17 million about and in third place, we have Fantasy Island, which I'm very excited to talk about, uh, which is at 12.4 million. Then in fourth place, we have the photograph, uh, just a shade behind Fantasy Island at a little under 12.3 million. And last place, still hanging on to the top five, Bad Wars for Life, with a really solid drop, uh, only at about six percent, and its total for the weekend was 11.3. Um, but kind of the headliner of the weekend here was Sonic the Hedgehog, just. Overcoming the onslaught of memes to become what is basically a—it's easiest probably—it's probably a hit at this point. So its budget was $85 million 85 90 million Worldwide gross already is one hundred and eleven million. Um, it's this is a shock to me. What about you?
1: No, this is this is really good. I I, I didn't quite expect a fifty-seven million dollar weekend. I I expected more in the vein of maybe forty million, um, and it to still eventually be profitable, but to already be breaking past its budget in the first weekend is pretty impressive. I think that the onslaught of memes helped it uh, kind of... I think that actually kind of helped the spread of awareness for this film early on, and I think it just added to a intrigue value, and um, the the reviews were pretty solid, and the audience uh, scores seemed to be pretty decent as well, so I, I expect that this movie will, will probably actually be quite profitable.
0: Yeah, I think you're dead on on like, the meme part of this, because... I mean, that first trailer came out and everyone thought everyone just started shitting on it like crazy. Like I, I was having a ball with it. Everyone was just going nuts. And like all the meme pages everywhere on Instagram, Twitter, everything, they were going nuts, just making fun of this movie. And it's one of those things where it's, it was so bad that it ended up being really good for the movie. And then it's, I mean, we've kind of covered this and everyone's been covering this for, for, for a while, but Paramount actually was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> you write, uh, internet. We're going to go back and fix this. And they made Sonic actually look like Sonic, um, and then weirdly, I mean, there's probably a like a gross underside to this where the reshoots of that only cost about five million. So it's it seems like there was probably a lot of animators working overtime and just not getting paid properly, which I I imagine there might be a press release for that at some point. Um, it's tough to speculate; it's such like a kind of a murky thing. But it, something doesn't isn't quite sitting right with me there, you know. But um yeah. yeah it's just it's just like a cinema score like it's one of those things where the memes helped <laughs> it rocketed into first place
1: no definitely and i think you're probably right there the initial reports they're 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 way off and they were false but the initial reports were and this is what had me nervous when they said they were gonna uh kind of redo everything with the sonics and uh sonics design um the initial reports were a $35 million add-on to the budget. Apparently that was way wrong, and it's obviously way under that. Um, so that's good for them in the long run, I guess, with with profiting off this film. But yeah, there, there might be something more to that story that we might learn at some point.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of a win for Paramount, because I feel like I've always been on this podcast just like wondering how on earth their budgets end up how they are. Cause or even before we started doing this podcast one of the most hilarious things I think I've ever seen was seeing that Daddy's Home 2 had a production budget of like 70 million which is just like one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life where (laughs) it's just like this totally cheap looking movie with Will Ferrell and Mel Gibson and Mark Wahlberg just phoning it in and it costs 70 million dollars which is just insane to me and Sonic's only 85 90 so like it looks like they had their stuff in check for this one all things considered and um, I guess that probably helps where a lot of the movie is live action. You guys have Sonic just like hanging out. There's like the one big um, animated piece of all this. Um, but it seems like, like weirdly, this was like a kind of like a good, like risk for them, you know? And they have, I imagine, I mean, I still haven't seen the movie and I'm kind of kind of catch up with it earlier this, later this week, but it seems like everything is setting up for, I know that they, they have their property now and they're going to probably do more with this. And who knows if Jim Carrey comes back. But uh, yeah, the reviews were good. And people younger, a lot of the, it says that a lot of the, the reports were that 70% of the audience were under the age of uh, 25 and over half of it was male, which just makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's, it seems like we might be getting more Sonic, which is just so weird considering all the memes of weird. Uh, human teeth that we were seeing like just a few short months ago. Uh,
1: it's a really strange turn of events here. It's, uh, it's a pretty good uh, glow-up for the film. I haven't seen it either, just had a busy weekend with travel and stuff, but it's one that I'm definitely going to catch up on early early in the week these next couple of days, but oh my god, this is... I mean, it, it, it definitely is a weird turn of events for sure.
0: Yeah, and th- so the movie also hasn't even opened yet in a few key markets, so it's opening in Russia this coming week. And it's in Japan in March, and there still is um, not a date set for China, which is probably the big one here. Um, I think Sonic is kind of one of those—it's kind of one of those properties that I feel like everyone knows about. Like one of those things that you were—that's kind of ingrained into the consciousness, even if you didn't really play the video game or anything like that. Like everyone knows about it, so um, I don't—I don't really know what the popularity of Sonic is in China, but I imagine just having a release there would just help this movie like
1: really, really well. So, yeah, it's, definitely. Sonic. Is- it had a it had a respectable opening overseas as well. Uh, 111 million global, uh, so domestic plus international, 111 million total this weekend. That's pretty impressive in and of itself. But I do think definitely a, a China release will will be big for them. I know that a lot of the reasons that there's no release date set is is just because of the virus, and I believe a lot of their box office and theaters have been just completely shut down. Um, so I think we will we're going to be talking a lot about that in the next couple of weeks when uh, Mulan comes out, I think in March um, because Disney, I think sh- should be nervous about that um, because they don't really know when they're going to get everything up and running there again.
0: That's actually a great call. And I, I don't even actually think of that, which is like, we might see a lot of these movies drop at the same time at some point where you have back to back to back, just create like even the week to week drop offs in China are already crazy as as is. But if you have like a glut of these movies that were kind of, on hold for release there, and they kind of drop them all at once. Like, maybe the 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 China
1: angle isn't as big for Sonic as you would have thought. But yeah, it's it's weird. I still think <laughs> it could definitely add. It can definitely add a decent chunk, though. Um, but yeah, I, I think that those big drops that we're used to seeing in China are probably going to be even bigger, just considering what they're going to be get getting thrown at them um, with all these bigger films that are going to be on hold. So, so it is a pretty interesting dynamic, but I do think that it's no matter what, regardless, it's going to be nice for them to get a release there at some point and just make a little bit more cash.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Sonic, I guess, is kind of the winner of this week. I just didn't see that at all. Like, just all the good, all the gifts that are still out there of the previously animated Sonic. It's just it just it's hilarious to me. I I, I'm kind of stunned that this happened. So I don't know, um, <laughs> but I guess we'll move on to the. Number two at the box office this week, which is uh, Birds of Prey or Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Or, as it's now titled, um, Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. Um, So, uh, there's definitely a lot of rejiggering with this movie. Obviously, after its kind of disappointing week last week where uh, Warner Brothers immediately changed the name last Monday to that Harley Quinn colon Birds of Prey. Just to kind of maybe get a a little more cachet uh, with that. Um, But it's i guess it's not really i don't know if it really changed much or anything like that so it was a 48 percent drop uh four birds of prey in its second weekend which considering what's the other movies that are kind of in the top 10 or even top 20 um it's definitely one of the higher ones considering that um valentine's day weekend is it's whether you're seeing a romantic comedy or anything like that it's a, uh, it's kind of it's just a big weekend for couples like there's you're kind of buying a ticket for two in a lot of – in, in a sense either if they're seeing a horror movie or whatever. So um, a 40 percent – 48 percent drop still isn't great. Uh, I'm not really willing to still call Birds of Prey a, a bomb or anything like that. I think that's – we're still very much in a wait-and-see pattern there. But um, with the budget around an $84.5 million we talked about last week, it's only sitting at $145 million, uh, at the moment. At worldwide too, so it's it's still not looking great, but uh, I, yeah, I'm I'm still in that mode where it's I don't really know uh, exactly where we're going to hold up here, so it's definitely still wait and
1: see for me. I agree. I think that uh, I think one of the reasons for that 48 percent drop is just that it, it was a new release last weekend. I think a lot of these other movies here that we're seeing uh, with these small incremental drops are, are films that have been out for so long. Um, so I would expect even if those movies came out last week, they'd have a similar drop this week to Birds of Prey. Um, so so that's kind of just how I'm reading it. Uh, I, I don't think it's a bomb either at all. I think that while it is definitely a slight disappointment um, on many fronts, I, I wouldn't call it a bomb either. I do think that it's found its audience, though, and I think that it, it will definitely have a life after its theater run because it, it's a film that I think is – um is definitely tapped into its audience and and there will be an audience uh and and a fan base for this movie going forward um but yeah 17 million dollars this weekend is not an awful uh take and i think that they they will be okay in the long run apparently that there was also only a a 50% drop in overseas markets which is uh apparently pretty good uh usually drops in the overseas markets are a lot higher than in the domestic markets but uh that might be a decent sign for them but yeah it's not a great look right now 145 million worldwide but i think that in the end it's not going to be the big flop that it was crowned as
0: yeah so it's it's so true because i think we all get caught up in like oh like what are the box office returns in a lot of these tentpole movies but uh just the merchandising and all that is such a huge part of like all of this and yeah There's definitely a lot of possibilities there with uh, Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey and whatnot. So, uh, if anything, if it breaks, gets close to breaking even, which for this I assume is probably right around the two hundred and fifty mark worldwide, something like that, two hundred and fifty, maybe three hundred. I don't think the mark, the marketing costs weren't too bad. This wasn't really like a pervasive uh, marketing campaign like that we see with like some of the bigger Marvel movies or anything like that. So, um, I don't suspect that the 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 marketing costs were too bad here. So. Anywhere around two fifty, and then after that, you kind of see what merchandising is and see where you if you, if you cut your losses or maybe you rejigger it for another time around. Uh, I think yeah, it's certainly a wait and see. Um, I don't know, it's a pretty fun movie. I wish more people would check it out, but what can
1: you do? Yeah, no, it's a good time. It's a good time for sure.
0: Yeah. So moving on to another, another movie I, I didn't get a chance to see, but I am really looking forward to it, considering the really bad buzz it has and that is fantasy (laughs) island uh the blumhouse horror movie based on fantasy island (laughs) which is just hilarious to me uh so in typical blumhouse fashion this movie was really cheap it it's made already 21.6 million worldwide and it costs seven million uh so it's probably already made its budget back or definitely made its budget back but Maybe the marketing costs as well, depending on how much it's spent there. Uh, it's, it's kind of the mo for uh, Blumhouse, which is kind of weird because this is actually a Sony uh, release, even though it's through Blumhouse. Uh, I don't really know if there's. I haven't been keeping up on the, like the studio, like the production ties. If um, maybe Universal was like, no, we're good on this, so they, <laughs> they just Blumhouse went to Sony and they were like, yeah, sure, we'll take a horror movie. Uh, but it's, it's doing okay, and that's just kind of. It really is just, I mean, even with something like Gretel and Hansel, which we barely talked about on this pod, like it costs like nothing and it's doing okay, but that's enough considering where uh, all the expenses were going into it. Um, I can't wait to see this movie because I woke up to, uh, shout out to uh, Spencer Henderson, uh, beloved contributor to Here to Movie Babble, but I woke up to, to a text from him saying uh, the grudge uh, greater than uh, Fantasy Island, which is just hilarious to me.
1: so I can't wait to see this movie. Um, What are your thoughts about it? Um, You know what, besides, obviously I think out of the, I actually skipped the three horror films so far this year that have kind of been absolute bombs with audiences and critics alike uh, which was uh, The Turning and The Grudge and now this. However, out of the three, and I'm still going to make a point to go back and watch them uh, over the next few weeks, especially as they either hit streaming or uh, hit on demand or something like that or or some other kind of lower cost theaters. But Fantasy Island is the one out of the three that I want to see the most. I don't know. It just seems like it's the most fun. Um, (laughs) But no, a $7 million budget, just looking at it from an economic standpoint, this film's in a a fine place and that's kind of the Blumhouse model, right?
0: Yeah. So it was, so this movie is directed by Jeff Wadlow. So that name isn't really, probably doesn't ring a bell. Uh, and deservedly so. But his last movie was uh, Truth or Dare. Remember that movie from whatever two years, two three years ago with the Snapchat filters for scary faces. It's the same thing where that movie was so bad and it was hilariously bad and all, and just it's every kind of move towards horror in that movie was just hilariously miscalculated and so funny at all times. Uh, and I'm kind of hoping that this is the same thing, and it seems like that because all the people who saw this movie, their first reactions were like, LOL, what is life (laughs) after seeing this movie? Um, And it's at like, it's sitting like at like a 9% last time I checked on Rotten Tomatoes, which is just hilarious to me. That's they're doing something uh, right in all the wrong ways. If like when a score gets that low. Uh, So yeah, truth or dare was fucking hilarious. Uh, And weirdly the same star, Lucy Hale is the lead in both of these movies, Uh, both Blumhouse movies. Um, But it just, it also just shows the power of the not maybe not the Blumhouse brand, but that kind that model of making movies where it keeps it it keeps having you let let's say have a job in Hollywood where that, that truth or dare costs like four million to make, and that movie made somewhere around 40, 50 million. So that's no matter how you look at it, it was terrible, but it's a one-off um high concept horror movie that just did really well at the box office, and that'll probably get you more work in this industry. And we're seeing it again with Fantasy Island. And it's, it's starting up.
1: Uh, I'll blow your mind a little bit. Uh, you said for, try 40, 50 with truth or dare. Try 90. <laughs> on Jesus a budget. Of, on a budget of $3 million.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's so fucking absurd. Like and it's, stuff like that, where Blumhouse just knows how to market a movie. And Jason Blum has it down where you just, you'd have that kind of that marketable premise and how silly this is. that there's a horror movie about fantasy Island, like, it definitely struck a chord with some people where it's just memorable, even if it looks really stupid. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just amazing. Like I, I imagine this movie, I mean, the C minus cinema score, uh, cinema score is not like a great kind of barometer for horror movies, considering some people are just like, man, that scared me. I don't like it. And they give it like a low cinema score. So, um, I mean, obviously the, Critics have not been kind to this movie. Uh, neither has basically anyone else. <laughs> so there's definitely some truth to it. Um, but I wouldn't. Sus- I suspect this movie might just hang around for a while. It'll, it'll do the typical thing where next week it'll probably make like six or seven million, um, maybe maybe like fifteen uh, worldwide and. It will kind of look at this. We probably won't talk about this movie again on the pod, but you'll kind of see it in like eighth or ninth place for a while. And it's like, oh yeah, it made fifty million. It's actually making more money. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's so weird. That's just the nature of horror these days. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a good business model. Absolutely. So uh, I can't wait to see that. Um, I we might have to do a. So I might want to talk about this more again next week when I actually get a chance to see it. So I'm seeing it tonight, and I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm weirdly very excited for it. So we'll see. Uh, but moving on to number four here is The Photograph, uh, which is the big uh, romantic movie of the week, uh, which also did pretty solid business. Uh, this one's for Universal. So it made about a little under $14 million worldwide on a budget of $16 million. Uh, so that's a pretty solid kind of risk there. Uh, two really likable leads, Keith Stanfield and Issa Rae. Uh, I know you got you saw this movie, so what are your thoughts?
1: You know what? It, it, it's a good film, and it definitely goes for something a little bit different than what you'd expect from a uh, Valentine's Day romantic film. It, it's very serious in tone. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I think that they're they're very charming, Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. They're they're really charming in the lead roles, and them kind of alone just just carry this film all the way. But there's also a really neat. Uh, a cultural story within this film as well. And I also really um I really enjoyed the score that went along with this film. It's kinda like like uh like like old jazz, like like uh Louisiana jazz a little bit. Um and it it really sets the tone because it it's not re- like there are some funny moments in here. Um uh there there's uh, Lil Rail Howard's in this or Howries in this film um from you know the Get Out fame. Uh, the TSA guy, <laughs> he's in this, and I had no idea he was in this. But he pops on screen, and the whole uh, audience in the theater started laughing. Um, but uh, so he's in there for some, for some comedy. But this is a a very serious film for for kind of a rom com. It kind of is more in the vein of a drama. Um, obviously, there's comedy throughout, but it, it definitely goes for a serious tone. And I think that that Helped it and hurt it a little. I mean, I respected the movie and what it was was going for. I thought it was telling a good story, um, but it definitely dragged a little at times. But no, definitely this was this was a good film and an enjoyable one for the Valentine's Day time. And I was impressed with it. So I'm just glad I got to watch a quality film instead of uh, uh, something crap because usually those, those Valentine's Day movies they can be rough sometimes.
0: Yeah, I. I feel like I watched this trailer. Whenever this came out, I didn't really know anything about this movie. And I saw the trailer ahead of some movie. It might have been, uh, like, Last Christmas, which, which, remember that movie from November of last year? Yeah. But uh, it's, it kind of, the trailer, I thought, was really great to this movie. It just, it feels really romantic. And, I mean, like, anytime, I feel like anytime Lakeith Stanfield is in a movie, you should pay attention to it. Because, I mean, he's just so versatile. And he was in that um, someone great movie that Netflix rom-com last year that was like surprisingly pretty good even though it was like the typical Netflix like you really don't need to pay attention to it but you can still get the gist of it he's great he's great in just about everything and same with Issa Rae like it just it really, I'm really looking forward to this movie as well and it's I, I'm curious to see how it does in pre, in like the next few weeks as well because I was talking to my Girlfriend, shout out to my girlfriend. Uh, but I was like, "Hey, like, do, wouldn't what, what, do you want to see anything this weekend?" And I was like, "Oh, how about like the photograph?" And she was like, "That no, looks like shit." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Maybe there's something that's not quite connecting with people there, but uh, it it's doing all right box office wise. I mean, there's definitely some work to be done here. It hasn't quite made its budget back, uh, but produ- uh, the marketing costs weren't too nuts in this movie, uh, so I can't imagine this was a crazy investment for Universal. So. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty standard. You have a a, a romance movie every Valentine's Day. It, it just makes sense, all things considered. So, um, this was the one
1: this year, and it looked like it did all right. Now, for sure, no. I'm glad it was this one. I mean, it, it was good. It was good for sure. Yeah, I'm um, I'm looking forward to catching up with that one. But and so in fifth
0: place this is a movie that we've kind of talked to death, but it just hangs around. It's Bad Boys for Life with a 5.9 percent drop over the weekend. Uh, just great stuff for this movie. 11.3 million, as I mentioned at the beginning of this pod, it's, it just won't go away. I mean, there's really not much to discuss about it other than like, yeah, this movie is just really profitable and people like it, but it's, it feels like every single week is just kind of, it just sheds another light on that. Uh, People just like love this and they're going back to see it multiple times. And it just, for me, it just shows how strongly like everyone loved those first two
1: bad boys, movie, bad boys movies. It just, it's,
0: it is really striking to me.
1: Yeah, I mean this is this is crazy. It's going to be probably hitting 400 million uh soon enough. It's at 370 million worldwide now, 181 million dollars domestically. I mean, this is a absolute hit and it's kind of saving the 2020 box office in a way. I mean, early on I'm I was reading a lot of reports how 2020 was ex- is expected to be a, a big down year um compared to the last few. Um but February reports are now saying that actually 2020 might be on par, and they cite "Bad Boys for Life" as one of the big surprises for that, because this film was definitely not expected to be a 400 million dollar hit. But here we are, and it's it's uh, good for good for the box office.
0: Yeah, I think that's a lot of that speculation comes from. We don't have like the big like there's no Infinity War and Game type of thing this year. Like the big one for Marvel is um, is. Uh, black widow coming out in may and then we'll kind of see what eternals is from there but there is kind of more unknown uh with this year so um but yeah it's also a very like quietly a very good start to this quarter or even like the beginning of so when you include last year or last december just a really good start for sony in all of this so yeah they had bad boys under their belt they have uh, the continued success of jumanji which is still just doing really well and actually went up at the box office this week at a 2.6% increase in its uh, intake for the week. And then you also had the aforementioned fantasy Island, which is against all, uh, just things that make sense in this world is just doing really well <laughs> at the box office. So, uh, for all, the, and even little woman is still around too, as well, getting a little bit of that, uh, post, uh, best picture nominee bump. So, um, Strangely, we love to kind of shit on Sony for everything they do, but they're doing really <laughs> well, <laughs> so good for them.
1: Yeah, I want to go, go on a quick little tangent real quick just because you brought up Jumanji and its increase um, uh, and Sony and all that. I, at the beginning of the year, last year, it feels like I just did this like a month ago, but like around this time last year, I dropped a bold box office predictions for 2019. Um, I don't know if you remember that article.
0: I do. It was my favorite article of
1: last year. i I predicted um i mean this was kind of a mix of a lot of things it was a mix of at the time no one knew how star wars episode nine was going to do at the box office and it was a mix of how shocking jumanji the first one did at the box office or welcome to the jungle did at the box office i called jumanji actually doing better at the box office than than star wars and sadly i was off by about 300 million (laughs) dollars (laughs) however however um You look at these two films right now, and Jumanji, which came out a week before Star Wars, um, is outpacing it by like 500% right now. I'm so upset. Like, I wish that they... Because there was a time where Star Wars was just making more money than Jumanji, but Jumanji was having lower drops. Then just Star Wars kind of fell off and Jumanji overtook it. It just happened too late. Ugh, I'm so upset.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, even comparatively, like even to save face for you a little bit, like... Everyone does feel like they're like they're a little disappointed with the rise of Skywalker. Like no one's happy with that movie. Like it's right. it's barely like I say this like it's the worst thing in the world, but it's barely over a billion dollars. But it's at it's not even at 1.1 billion. Which when you compare that to something like like even the even the last two like Force Awakens and uh, Last Jedi, like it's just been a rapid decline. Like I think even Last Jedi, which is a movie that apparently that still no one likes, but I feel like there's like slowly converts over time as we weed out all the Russian bots. And that movie still made, made 1.6 billion dollars um, so this is yeah but even Jumanji everyone everyone just seems happy with it I mean obviously there's far less stakes involved with that kind of movie but everyone just kind of goes and sees it and they're pleasantly happy with it and like Kevin Hart does funny things and The Rock plays against type and that's kind of all you want with it so I would say you were right in one way or another I'm giving you credit for it I appreciate it Halfway, at least <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, so we'll move on to uh, one of the other new releases of this week, uh, which came in at the number 10 spot, which was Downhill. Uh, the Will Ferrell, a uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus vehicle, uh, the remake of the, the hit, I think it's a Swedish film, uh, Force Majeure, uh, which came out a few years ago. Um, didn't do great, actually. So this movie, uh, it's from the uh, the artist formerly known as Fox Searchlight Pictures. Uh, just Searchlight <laughs> Pictures now. Uh, it's It was in about 2,300 screen uh, theaters here in the U S and it only cracked about 4.6 million. Uh, I'm that's, I don't really know what tracking was on this, but that's definitely not great. And especially for a movie that stars those, those two uh, just really prominent comedy leads.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen it, but I know that the, the original, the Swedish film is it's pretty good. And it was, it was uh, a hit when it came out and it was pretty well liked. Um, this film dropped pretty quick after Sundance. Um, did you get a chance to see it at Sundance, or did you see it this weekend?
0: Yeah, so it was one. Of the, it was actually funny because I was, I knew it was coming out this weekend, so I was like, I don't really need to see that at Sundance since like the right. wait is so short. I and mean, there's a lot of other movies you have no idea when they're coming out. And even, even last week we had, we didn't even talk about it. but It was a movie called The Lodge, which released, and that movie I saw that movie at Sundance 2019, released after Sundance this year. So just. You never know when these things come out, but yeah, so I saw, I caught up with it this week um, and I actually watched Force Majeure for the first time uh, before seeing it because I'd only heard great things and it was, I mean, if you're going to see this movie, it's worthy to compare the two. Um, and yeah, it's just, Force Majeure is just a better movie uh, in every sense of the word. This is, I mean, we see this all the time where uh, there's American remakes of just really great and kind of almost transcendent um, foreign films, uh, and this is this is just kind of that where they put they they put two great stars in it and it it makes sense why these people would sign on to it because it's just at a ski resort it's just you, you just have a free vacation while you're shooting a movie <laughs> it's like the it's like a higher class version of what Adam Sandler does in all his movies where I mean this one has like the the searchlight banner and there's like some prestige to it because it's based off of a really good really good Swedish movie and all that. And there's, but it's basically the same thing where it's just like, Hey, like you guys want to just like film in like the Alps somewhere for a few weeks. And Will Ferrell's like, sure, why not? <laughs> uh, so yeah, like the first force majeure it's, so I guess I should do the um, kind of the inciting incident for both films here. Cause it's actually one of the more inventive ones. So it's, it's kind of, this movie's built as a, as a, a new kind of disaster movie, uh, which is really funny. Cause these, this family's at the, it just, chilling at their ski lodge and they're eating some like lunch or whatever, some kind of meal. And there's like, like a controlled avalanche coming down from the mountains that a lot of places do just to kind of evenly distribute snow throughout the mountains. So people can ski properly. Uh, and, it, and it keeps building and building and it looks like it's gonna even just, just swarm all over them and could turn into a real avalanche. And so, um, Will Ferrell, or the, the, just the fatherly figure, if we're looking at both films here, the first reaction is to grab his phone and run away from the family, and so when the dust settles and everything's actually fine, uh, the whole family's just like, what the fuck? Like, you left us? <laughs> like, what are you doing? And it kind of starts out, it starts this kind of, like, this downward spiral for this family, and you kind of, it looks like kind of what people do, and those kind of those split-second moments, and can you really trust someone until those things come, and uh, I think Force Majeure is a really interesting, layered discussion of this, where it's a lot about masculinity and about how, like, a lot of it's about that survival aspect, and if it's necessarily like the man should be, uh, per- be the protector at all times, and it's it's really clumsy in, a, in like the best way possible. All the characters are just like a, like waves of emotion, and they don't know how to feel about each other, and it's a really good juxtaposition of like this really beautiful place and just a crumbling connection with these people. Um, so downhill, there's a little bit of that. There's a couple scenes that are just kind of shot for shot, the same thing over and over again, which you kind of see with a lot of these movies. And I think a lot of them kind of hope that you didn't see the first movie. So they just kind of recreate that same energy or try right. to at least. Um, but it's just, it's just not very, it's just not as interesting of a movie. Uh, there's, there's far more layers to the the conflict in force majeure where there's masculinity and um, just, there's so much different stuff. And this movie is just kind of uh, Will Ferrell trying to go dramatic. Um, Julia Dreyfus is also doing the same, but there's the material isn't quite there. It feels like they do the thing where they make the relationship drama more. Um, it's just e- easier to comprehend in a lot of ways. Like there's, there's cheating stuff in there. And in the first movie, there's even no inkling that either of these two people are going to cheat on each other, which is actually one of the more interesting pieces of, of that movie where it's all kind of internal conflict and them struggling with each other and so um this movie it's just it's just kind of the safer uh less um uh, it's not is not quite daring it's um it's the other, and uh Force is a little more fraught there's a lot more stuff going on there uh this movie it's just fine you know um nothing really I can't I'm not really like influ- like I don't have a big reaction to it either way or anything like that but it's a uh, it's just kind of It's just kind of there, you know, and it seems like the reactions to it are similar where people are like, I don't really know what to make of this. Like it doesn't really quite uh, live up to people who love Force Majeure and for people who are just kind of going to see it as its own self. It's kind of bland and low energy. Um, It doesn't have like those that that emotional
1: layering that you would kind of hope for. So um, it's
0: I don't I don't uh, it didn't surprise me to see this movie not perform well this weekend.
1: It kind of sounds like a decent role for Will Ferrell, though. Uh, just just by you saying it, just a clumsy guy who would grab the phone and run away from the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could picture him doing that.
0: Yeah, and it's the, that scene. It's actually funny. I think both of those, when you compare those two scenes together, how they're shot, I think it's a it's a great encapsulation of what makes these two movies different and what makes Force Majeure better. Because mm-hmm. there's like a, there's like a little bit the way it's filmed in Force Major is there's a kind of you don't quite see him run away like the dust settles and you kind of maybe see him move like you move in the opposite direction. But it's not quite as clear. I mean, it's definitely still like, oh, yeah, he's going like, to he left his family. But it's not there's that little bit of doubt. And I think that kind of benefits the the father character, which in both in both movies, the, the father character is like, no, I didn't leave you. What are you talking about? Like, that's your truth. My truth is I was there for you. Um, and the way that's filmed in Force Major just kind of lends itself better to that. Um, this one it's like, oh, it's like a comedy bit. <laughs> Wolfferrrell just like just like yeah. just like lunges, lunges out of the out of the um, bench and runs away. Um, other than that, that. yeah, other than that, it's um, it's definitely one of the more dramatic roles from Wolffarrell. Like he's not being goofy Wolf Ferrell. There's definitely moments of that, but he's definitely trying to be that kind of like that dad figure and movie. He's some channeling that every, everything must go or stranger than fiction energy um right so it is interesting from that aspect because you don't get to see that side of him a lot uh but it's just yeah it's just it's just fine you know it's you could you would you would just hope that this movie with all the talent involved would just be a little better than it is
1: yeah definitely um but yeah i mean i'll probably check out force majeure before i even think about checking out downhill
0: yeah it's that's definitely the right way to go uh it's it puts you in the right frame of mind for this movie and kind of understand like the forces of play. Um, no pun intended, I guess was the title there, um, but <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just a better movie. And I think maybe, maybe downhill works for people who don't really know about force majeure. Maybe that's a possibility, but um, the cinema score wasn't really great for it. so it was like, I think it's like a D cinema score. So uh, yeah, not, not great all around. I don't really think this movie satisfied anybody. <laughs> so yeah, know. Uh, yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll kind of, move on to our last point here or uh, actually no we have actually kind of a, a crowded slate here we do we want to touch on parasite really quickly um uh, so after the big time win uh big time bong energy after the win <laughs> uh, best picture win uh parasite just went it came back into two two thousand screens this week uh made about 5.5 million uh and i i just love all of this it's just so great to see this movie perform really well it's Getting closer to 50 million here in the U.S. for which for this kind of movie, I mean, even just like subtitles, but um, just kind of the stuff it deals with. It's just so cool to see this movie. It's probably going to cross 200 million worldwide sometime soon, since it's kind of going all over the place now because people are dying to see it. Um, Just I just love seeing this. This is just such a great fallout from the, uh, the Oscars, and it seems like people are already interested in seeing
1: and seeing it and getting acclimated to world cinema. It's just really cool to see. No yeah two hundred and thirty four percent jump from last weekend 's crazy. They doubled their theater count. they had five point five million um, th- This is big and I, I saw reports out of Australia, some uh, people <clears throat> tweeting some uh, numbers out of Australia that it 's in its thirty fourth week in Australia because it came out right after cannes back in uh, May in Australia, and it, its best weekend at the box office was this past weekend so I, I remember at the beginning of the season. Bob- Said uh, it's it's a it's a local award show, but it really has had some international impact. And from that smile, I think he was just saying that because he loved it. He loved these few months in this in the stateside, and uh, you could see that on his face, especially when he got that screenplay victory. Uh, that's a great gift now.
0: Yeah, and even the the meme of him making his os- multiple Oscars kiss like everything <laughs> everything about <laughs> Parasite winning is so wholesome, and I love all of it. And everything is it just seems like. I know maybe there's, like, some people who didn't think Parasite should win. Um, it, it wasn't my – out of the Best Picture nominees, really, I really, really liked the film and even loved it. But it definitely wasn't my favorite. Um, but just kind of, like, this over overall picture of this, like, it is such a cool choice to win Best Picture. I love all of this. Um, even, like, just for casual movie fans, like, people who watch the Oscars, for as much as we – kind of poo-poo the Oscars and say it's stupid and it doesn't matter, like, it does really, it does matter to a lot of people, and they kind of they use it as a barometer for like, oh, this is what quality is, and even like someone like my brother who uh, he see like he's interested, like, he really likes movies, but he doesn't quite, he doesn't go out and see like 100 movies throughout the year, but he hadn't seen Parasite, and he watched the Oscars, and kind of saw how cool it was to see Bong win, and how overwhelmingly happy he was and he was like, wow, I need to watch Parasite, like, this week And so that definitely has an influence for a lot of people. And maybe that leads to more people watching uh, more of Bong's work and other um, Korean movies and other world cinema just from around the world. Um, There's only as the way I see it, there's only good that can come from this.
1: Yeah, I mean, just two quick stats to throw out again. I mean, yeah, obviously great, great gross for this film so far. But it, it was the cheapest movie budget-wise out of all nine of the Best Picture nominees, standing at 11 million dollars U.S. Uh, so, so to be up now at around 200 million globally, almost hitting 50 million domestically, that's big. Also, it's the fourth highest-grossing film, uh, foreign film, in in the United States in history. Um, I I don't remember all the ones that are ahead of it. I know Hero is one of the films ahead of it, Um, and I know that uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is one of them, but it's fourth now on that list, so this film's definitely uh, uh, chugging along, and it's just making a ton of money.
0: Yeah, and I guess parting shots, just go see Parasite if you haven't already. It's it's really great, and even... (laughs) Just go into it with knowing nothing. Um, It's just, it's terrific. It's just, this is just, this makes me so happy. I was so geeked when this movie won Best Picture. I was so happy and I still am. Um, So this is me in a good mood. (laughs) So we'll move on to our last topic here, which is uh, the re-release of Portrait of Lady on Fire. Uh, So this movie came out kind of for an an awards um, qualifying run last year in December. uh, Kind of limited theaters in New York and L.A., uh, now it's getting its actual release. So it released in 22 theaters here in the U S and started off pretty well. It made almost half a million on those screens. So it's not too bad. 20, about 20,000 per screen there. Um, another neon movie. Uh, but this movie has built up quite a cult following uh, since like, even since can last year, when it also premiered and won the best screenplay award there and everything like that. Um, it's I really hope this movie does well and expands. I think it has a chance to since maybe this is me living in the film Twitter bubble of it all. But I think a lot of people can find a lot of great things in this movie. Um, I rewatched it this weekend and it is just fucking tremendous. It's better the second time around. And um, I know we're not at a point where just any foreign film gets like recognition at the Oscars and things like that. But this is the best looking movie of the year. And like for like it should have been nominated for best cinematography overwhelmingly. I know that's. Like obviously that wasn't going to happen, but um, just so many great things acting across the board, directing is staggeringly good um, i I really hope people go see this movie because it's so tremendous
1: yeah I'll be curious to see how much it expands. I doubt it's going to get um, upwards of a thousand theaters but it, it could definitely get into several hundred theaters i think at best and it's definitely going to make some good money just because of the great buzz i mean this is one of the best reviewed movies of 2019 like it's it's top notch right up there with parasite and some other uh films that were just acclaimed across the board from critics and other kind of guilds but portrait of a lady on fire definitely is a film that i'm looking forward to that's a great take this weekend four hundred forty thousand dollars great take for sure Um, it's coming out up here in Canada next week, so I'll I'll have to wait a little bit, uh, just another week or so, but I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, my guess is this will probably top out around like 500 screens, maybe. Um, I mean, even for like what we, all the things we say great about Parasite, like it is a very, it's a pretty accessible movie and it's very thrilling and energetic. Um, this movie I think is definitely accessible, but it's not quite that same energy. It's definitely, definitely quieter. Uh, there's no score in the movie. Uh, so, which is makes for really interesting atmosphere throughout it. Um, but I think it will test the patience of more people um, other than like Parasite or anything like that. Um, but it is really terrific. And I'm still bummed. I, I really liked, uh, uh, Lady Ali, I don't know how you say her name, but her take on uh, Les Mis, uh, the French, uh, a movie that was nominated for best international film at the Oscars. Uh, but this movie is just fucking great. Like I, I watched it again. Like I said, like it's probably in my top three of the year, or like from last year retroactively. I think it was like four or five or something like that. Uh, but just everything about this movie is really terrific. There's every line of dialogue means like two or three things at the same time. Um, yeah like I said performances are outrageous uh, it's it's really terrific Like I can't, I can't overstate it at all it is just so great
1: looking forward to it
0: yeah so I guess with that we'll wrap it up for this week um, like I said go see Portrait of Lady on Fire Parasite all the good stuff um, I guess next week we'll reconvene to talk about Brahms 2 or The Boy 2 whatever the, the title of that fucking thing is <laughs> um we'll, we'll see uh the sequel to a movie no one asked for uh, so, so sure and then we'll watch to we'll, we'll see Call of the Wild as well with Harrison Ford a movie where a documentary where they just captured him in uh nature yelling at something and then they put a uh, CGI <laughs> dog in there <laughs> which is the fanfic I, I, that I I'm may just
1: not go- be catching at that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the fanfic that I'm going with on that movie um so yeah, a little bit of a light, a little bit of a light week next week. So hopefully we have a chance to catch up on some of the things. But as always, you can check us out on the site at moviebiblereviews.com. We always have great content there. And uh, Brennan, thank you for joining me this this week. And until next time, we will see you.